Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. It's um, a pleasure to be here this morning and to see everybody. Um, in the church. It's been a few months now, and I'm glad to be back. So we're going to launch straight in with just continuing this sermon on, uh, or this message or series on resilience. And I loved Maria's um, activation just then, and also the the image of the tree. And I, I want to bring to you a, a definition to build on on the, uh, the the ground that Maria laid. So wherever you are, you know, type in the chat what you remember from Holly's and, and Phil's uh, lovely messages that they shared a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm going to try not to share too many words because I'd like to keep some space this morning for us to, to pray. You know, in the, in the business world, we might talk about the idea of resilience of a particular industry or a market being able to push through resilient and difficult times. Or we might talk of the NHS, right? And uh, hospital staff, who've, so many of whom have been through unimaginable difficulty and still remain committed not only to their profession, but committed indeed to life itself. And that's resilience, right? But what does it mean to be a resilient disciple? And again, to build on what Maria shared earlier, I want to I invite you to have a look at this definition and just, just try it on and see if it works for you. So resilient disciples, I think, are two things, if we want to bring up slide two. They are Jesus followers who are learning to cast their cares on God, locating their well-being within a clear and constant vision of God's love for them. Resilient disciples are what you might describe as attack sheep who through prayer and perseverance apply pressure against the pressures of life. Just absorb that for a moment and see how it fits. You needn't take it on yourself, but it's something which was helpful for me. Say to the person next to you that you're an attack sheep. I thought I'd try and do a sound of a sheep attacking, but I just embarrassed myself. Um, <laughs> just, um, you know, emotional well-being, mental health, and, you know, they're all popular ideas, and, and rightly so. And I suspect some of you are, you know, recovering from the difficulties maybe of the past year. And, and maybe you're asking yourself whether you, you find yourself ready and able to engage with the world. The reality is that life is hard, right? Sometimes it can be difficult to, to feel like you can go one more day. The pain that we see across the world, the loneliness that many people indeed face, can feel overwhelming at times. But what's our response in these moments? How do we respond to difficulty? My old pastor once said to me, you're either coming out of a crisis, you're in a crisis, or you're about to go into a crisis. Just what you wanted to hear this morning, right? Um, you might flip it on its head and say, you know, hope or joy around the corner is around the corner. But I recognize that some of us may still be wrestling with, with personal challenges that we've encountered 
We may indeed be asking ourselves whether or not God is good. And these are understandable questions to ask. So straight out the gate, I want to say there's no condemnation here. It's okay if you don't feel resilient. Let's not make resilience uh, something which we need to become more of, a law that you're somehow inadequate if you've not yet attained. This, of course, is a, a lie from the pit of hell. But I do want to encourage you today uh, to remind us of God's grace and love and of the kind of actions that characterize the people who have come to believe in him. So if we pick up on that first definition of Jesus followers who are learning to cast their care on God, locating their well-being within a clear and constant vision of God's love for them. So last week, Holly um, spoke on Romans 3, and she talked about how Paul was writing that we've all fallen short, right? We've all fallen short of God's glory, and how in Jesus Christ, we've been given a gift of righteousness. That is to say, we, we have right, right standing with God by virtue of Jesus. So he ends Romans 3 by saying, is there room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all, he says. He says, it's not our works of keeping the law. And here's the crucial bit. But our faith in his finished work that makes us right with God. So here's the first thing, folks, that I want you to get straight in your vision this morning. You'll never be more loved than you are right now. This is our foundation, the foundation of our Christian faith. You're already loved more than you can imagine. Our being forgiven is not something we have been able or will ever be able to, to earn. It's a result of God's grace, which isn't just for forgiveness. It's God acting in our lives to bring about what we don't deserve and what we couldn't do on our own. That's God's grace. So, so Holly set the scene last week, and we're going to move into um, Romans chapter 4. And Paul goes on to use Abraham as an example of how faith makes us accepted by God. And so let's go to Romans chapter 4, verse 1. He says, let me use Abraham as an example. It is clear that humanly speaking, he was the, founda the founder of Judaism, right? What was his experience of being made right with God? Was it by his good works, by keeping the law? No. Listen to what scriptures say. Because Abraham believed God's word, his faith transferred God's righteousness into his account. We'll, we'll, again, over time, we'll just unpack some of that, the language there because there's some rich, um, rich language in that. But to understand what Paul is referring to, we need to go back to Genesis for a moment. So in Genesis chapter 12, which, as you know, is the first book of the Bible, God appeared to Abraham when he was 75. His father had died, um, and so had his brother, um, Lot's, Lot's father. And so he looked after his nephew, Lot, and God told him, if we go to slide four, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. You know, we have to see Abraham as just an ordinary person like you and I. We have to imagine that Abraham could be SP. 
I was looking at a bearded version of SP earlier this morning, and I tell you that is very true. Abraham could be SP. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help that. Um, you know, we, we do have to imagine that, you know, God was using someone, you know, pretty ordinary. I mean, SP, SP is pretty extraordinary in many ways. I'm just going to move on. This is it's getting awkward. SP, I didn't, I didn't plan this, by the way. Um, so, so he had his doubts, and in fact, he was scared. Abraham was very scared. This is a 75-year-old man with an entire family, of course, and God says, get up. I want you to go into a land that you don't even know whether it exists or not. And so let's go to slide five where um, Genesis 15, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Just say after me, God is my shield, my exceedingly great reward. And Abraham is still a little bit doubtful. He says, Lord, you know, what will you give me seeing I go childless? The heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus, um, you know, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, a servant born in my house is my heir. And God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so will your offspring be. And Abraham, or he was known as Abraham back then, believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. So Abraham left just as God said and Lot left with him. So God makes a promise to Abraham. But you see, not only did Abraham have doubts, he was far from perfect, right? We see later in chapter 16, um, we find that Abraham gets a little bit creative and he tells Sarah when they go down to Egypt because of a famine, he says, don't tell them that you're my wife, tell them that you're my sister. And, do you, you know, we can imagine that God probably was aware of Abraham's imperfections. But it, the Bible says Abraham believed and it was his faith that was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. So the picture we're building here is a picture of our acceptance in God being a function of God's faithfulness and our trust in God's faithfulness. Resilient disciples are followers of Jesus that are learning to cast their cares on God, locating their well-being within a clear and constant vision of God's love for them. Paul has a few more things to say about Abraham. Let's go to slide. I think it's slide six. It says, Paul says, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word. And as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. In spite of being nearly 100 years old, when the promise of having a son was made, his faith was so strong that it could not be undermined by the fact. So now you see why Abraham's faith was credited to his, to his, count, credited to his account as righteousness before God. And this declaration was not just spoken over Abraham, but also over us. That's reason to be joyful, folks. 
For when we believe and embrace the one who brought the Lord Jesus back to life, perfect righteousness will be credited to our account as well. So we've got Abraham. He leaves his country. He leaves his family. He's learning to cast his cares on God in the midst of uncertainty. What uncertainty are you in the midst of right now? You see, so much of life requires faith and trust. And there's a reason, I believe, why we, we've been hearing this phrase, this line a fair bit of God accrediting it, his faith, Abraham's faith as righteousness. You have to place your trust in something, right, or someone. Because we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. See, I think God would much rather have our trust and our faith than have sinlessness or perfect performance. What do you mean, Kenny, God would rather have trust and faith than sinlessness? Well, if my two daughters did everything I said, followed all the rules in our house, but didn't trust me, I'd feel pretty disappointed. I'd feel pretty hurt. So I don't think God needs our trust. But I think when God saw Abraham's confidence in him, it's almost like he said, I like this better. I like faith better than perfect performance. It was Paul in Hebrews who said, without faith it's impossible to please him. You see, when we place our faith and trust in God, we're acknowledging who he is in his faithfulness. And then to be accounted as, to, to, for it to be accounted as righteousness basically means that the proper relationship between human beings and God is now resumed. It's a relational term. When we trust Jesus, we trust him for everything, including forgiveness. Forgiveness, in fact, is a natural part of that interactive relationship. And so we might call a resilient disciple as someone who locates his well-being within a clear and constant vision of God's love for them. You see, sometimes I, I think on this, and you know, it's not actually amazing that God loves us. It would be strange if God didn't love us. What's amazing is that the source of creation, the source of our existence, is love. It's not amazing that God loves us because God himself is love. And that's what's amazing. As the theologian John Stott put it, he said, no other system or religion proclaims a free forgiveness and a new life to those who have done nothing to deserve it. Whereas other religions perhaps teach some sort of self-salvation through good works or philanthropy, Christianity, by contrast, is in essence not really a religion at all. It's a gospel. It's a great news whereby each day we can start and come boldly to God 
because he doesn't hold our sin against us. In fact, he's given us righteousness. He's given us his goodness. He makes us to stand. And like Abraham, this isn't something we earn, but it's something we receive as a gift. Wherever you are, if you like, you don't have to try, but try to put your hands on your heart and just say, Lord, I receive your righteousness this morning. Lord, I receive your gift of righteousness. We receive your righteousness, Father, and we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that when you see us, you see your son, Jesus. And therefore, we can come boldly to you. Now, this doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do. This doesn't mean that we don't have any responsibility in this. And this is where we're going to come into the second part of the definition. You know, there's been a sad doctrine in the church, I think, over the decades that says, you know, I'm saved and that's it. So, you know... You might have heard me say before, we've become like vampire Christians. We want a little bit of God's blood, but don't actually, actually expect my life to change at all. Sure, you can't work your way into heaven, but you can see what a Christian really believes by what they do when they realize they don't, they don't have to do anything. God's grace isn't opposed to our effort. It's opposed to our earning. Put another way, what a child does when not told what to do is the final indicator of what and who that child is. So what's left for us to do? Our salvation, our righteousness, our goodness is conferred on us by virtue of Jesus Christ. And this is where, if we go back to the, de the definition that I put up earlier, this is where I think we've got to lean into our attack sheepness, for want of a better phrase. Resilient disciples are attack sheep who, through prayer and perseverance, put pressure against the pressures of life. God's grace isn't opposed to our effort, but is opposed to our earning. So what do I mean? Well, I'll just I'll share a few things. You know, the last few weeks, I guess like many of you, have been especially challenging for me. And it's all seemed to come to a head this particular week. So I lead on inclusion and diversity at, at work, as monk, amongst other things. Um, and it's felt like I've been in the middle of a culture war. I have two big presentations coming up um, this particular week. Um, and then we have some things in my family with my mom that hasn't been going too well. And so it's felt like one of those sort of perfect storms. And I found myself up working on this message last night, and it, it wasn't quite sinking. It wasn't quite working. Something felt like it wasn't right. And so I went to bed at about midnight and I said, Lord, the, the message isn't ready, but you're going to have to fill my mouth because I don't know what I'm going to say in the morning. Um, and then to get, you know, as if it couldn't get more frustrating, at 3 a.m. in the morning, there was an alarm that went off next door. It was this annoying siren. Um, in fact, I can still hear it ringing in my head because it was so loud. And so the entire house was up, ringing endlessly, ringing endlessly. And I said, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to keep going to church, haven't got this message ready, and now we've got an alarm at 3 a.m. So after tossing and turning, I decided enough's enough. And I went into my room 
and put my favorite worship track on and began to pray. And as I prayed and worshipped, pouring my heart out to God, not, not for the siren to stop, by the way. I mean, that was, in fact, the alarm just blended into my worship and blended into prayer. And I just, I didn't even, I, sometimes I'd stop the music and check if it was still there and it was still going and I'd just go back into, into worship. But this is the point I want to make because the band um, and Chloe can get ready to come up. Um, this is the point I want to make. What are you declaring in times of difficulty? When hard times come your way, do you lay down and take it? When it feels like life itself is stacked against you, what's our response? I tell you, you might not feel resilient, but as soon as you begin to pray and cry out to God, you change something on the inside. Yes, we're Jesus' sheep, we're his followers, but we're sheep with teeth. And in times of difficulty, we go on the offensive. And so with all that's going on around us, and I'm going to ask Chloe to, pray, to, to, to play, and we'll, we're going to spend a few moments just praying into a few things. You know, with all that's going on around us, it's time we get our gloves on and roll our sleeves up. And it's so great that this week, many of you have been doing that, joining us all on Wednesday to pray and to fast. You know, we, we call out the name of Jesus when it feels like things are stacked against us. Whether that's speaking in tongues or crying out or just silently talking to the Lord. Romans 4.17, the same chapter we've been looking at said, God gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. We serve a God of promises. In a world that is full of despair and hopelessness, we serve the same God who said to Abraham at 100, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a family. Has God changed? Has, is God any different? Friends, I know things have been difficult for many of us, but I want you to know that it's your, the awareness of our need. It's, our, it's in our desperation. It's in our vulnerability. It's in our weakness that we're most in touch with God. Someone once said that God's address, you see, is at the end of our rope. That's where he lives. So when you feel like you're not resilient, God's close to you. When you feel like you just can't go the next moment, the next mile, God's close to you. He's close to the lost. He's close to the needy. If you're struggling with the idea of God's goodness, consider what Jesus said. He said, if God dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more is he watching over you? I was looking at Charlie, I was looking at the dog earlier, and I thought, if you've got a pet, and you probably, I, I suspect, imagine that your pet loves you. I hope. How much more God? How much more our Creator? So wherever you are, if you'd like to stand, or wait, whatever position works for you, we want to step in as resilient disciples who have a clear and constant vision of God's love. We're able to stand 
and approach God in prayer because God is not holding sin our imperfections against us. But God likes our faith. He likes to release our faith and have confidence in what he's able to do. So I want to encourage you to lift up whatever's been assailing you, whatever's been assaulting you, whether it be thoughts, people, situations, or more global issues. Father, we lift it to you in the name of Jesus. And we trust that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We trust that you were the same God that called out to Abraham and you said to him that I'm a, I'm a God that speaks and that when I speak, I'm going to act on what I've spoken. And you spoke to him that he's going to have a family. You spoke to Sarah that in her old age, she'd have a child. Father, you're still in the business of working miracles. You're still in the business of doing, of calling into existence the things that are not. And so we lift up, Father, we lift up our government. We lift up this nation. We lift up the church, Father. And we roll the cares. We roll the cares of this nation to you in the name of Jesus. And we trust you for wisdom. We trust you for direction. Lord, we pray that we would see your hand in our lives in a strong and mighty way. We pray that we'd see your hand even more clearly over the government. We lift up India this morning, Father. We pray for their government, Father. We pray for that nation. We release our faith this morning, God. We choose not to stand, sit back and to stand back, to be passive, but we choose to acknowledge your faithfulness, Father. We don't have all the answers, Lord, but we know the one who holds tomorrow, and that's you, God. So we trust you that you would intervene, that your mercy would triumph in India right now. I want to lift up those that are watching at home who have experienced a great amount of loneliness, disconnection or not feeling able to connect with you, Lord. Father, I pray that wherever they are right now, that they would sense your presence. They would sense your anointing, Father. In the name of Jesus that you would show yourself strong and alive to all who are listening and all who are watching. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.